Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Hey everybody, it's the Title IX Podcast and the Cyclone Fanatic Podcast Network. I'm Steph Copley, joined by Elisa Woods for a very special special episode of the Title IX podcast. We are fast approaching the 50th anniversary of the um, passage of the Title IX legislation that we've all come to know and love so very much. So we're going to do kind of a celebration and review and um, I think an honest review of some of the shortcomings of Title IX. And at the end, I was joined by a super, super special guest earlier today. We're recording Monday night. And earlier this afternoon, I was joined by CBS's Tracy Wolfson, um, who just yesterday on Sunday had a special Title IX episode of her show, We Need to Talk. So I got to chat with her about that. So stay tuned at the end of the episode for that. That was really a cool experience. And thank you again, Tracy, for joining us on the podcast. As always, we need to thank our friends at the Ivy College of Business for making this podcast possible. And Elisa, I don't know if you saw, but last week they um, tweeted that they're now accepting nominations for the fifth annual Ivy Women in Business Awards. And we've talked about this on the podcast before um, because some some past Iowa State Athletics alumna have um, been nominated and won these awards. Anna Florzak was the one that comes to mind that we talked about, but they celebrate women in business and their champions and serve as an opportunity to inspire college women as they prepare for a bright future in business. There's the Outstanding Young Alumna Award, Business and Inspiration Award, and Business Champion Award. So again, these are all women in business awards and the nomination deadline is approaching. It's July 1st. So if you have someone in mind, if you have an Ivy alumna in mind, nominate them, check them out at the Ivy college of business. And Elisa, why don't you give them a hoody hoo? Hoody hoo. <laughs> Yours was better than mine. <laughs> I've been practicing. Just take it over. Take it over. No, no, no. That's yours. That's your thing. Uh-uh. Um, and then we also want to thank the Mississippi river distilling company for sponsoring the entire cyclone fanatic podcast network. It was father's day over the weekend, of course. And they tweeted, um, something about their rye whiskey they tweeted sorry they tweeted it's no secret that dads like corny jokes they also like corny whiskey hardy har har mm, <laughs> so good, one. That's a good one i bet a dad wrote that tweet what do you think oh i'm sure i'm sure <laughs> so get over to uh leclerc or check out any of the cody road products in your local uh favorite grocery stores all right let's get to it elisa are you pumped to talk about title nine i'm so pumped I'm so excited. We have been working on this. So we prepared more. We didn't just show up. Oh, no. Prepared. We came prepared. We did our homework. We researched. We studied just like the old days, right? (laughs) The olden days. (laughs) All right. So we're just, we thought we would start by a little bit of history to refresh everyone's memories. So the official 50th anniversary is just a couple of days away. June 23rd, 1972, President Richard Nixon signs the Education Amendments Act. And in it is Title IX, which provides that no person in the United States shall, on the basis of sex, be Excluded from participation in, be denied the benefits of, or be subjected to discrimination under any educational program 
or activity receiving federal financial assistance. It's just that little phrase in the Education Amendments <laughs> Act that changed sports as we know it. And what's interesting is that Title IX was written and lobbied for as a means to address gender inequity in education. Because at the time, college student bodies and facilities were predominantly men. Um, only 59% of women in 1970 graduated from high school and just 8% had college degrees. And this was all thanks, Title IX was all thanks to Bunny Sandler, Bernice Sandler. Um, she was told she couldn't be hired at the University of Maryland because she came on too strong for a woman, which I know I've been told, and I'm guessing, Elisa, <laughs> you've been told a time or two. Uh, maybe. But she, she, <laughs> maybe. But she got mad and she did something about it. So she gathered all these examples of sex discrimination and shared her research with her state representative, which then led to congressional hearings on gender discrimination, which revealed stories that I can't share because my heartburn will flare. Um, and it was these hearings that laid the groundwork for Title IX. And it was Title IX, which again, recognized gender equity in education as a civil right that altered sports forever. But the crazy part is that the sports piece of it was kind of an accident because the law I just read you in no, in no way does it mention the word sport or athletics or physical education or anything like that. And I did some research and no one taking part in those congressional hearings were talking about sports at all. But it came about because, you know, whereas a math or English department might be hard to look at and say, are these budgets for the math department equitable among genders? There's clear budgets to compare in athletics departments, and that's where it all began. So today, under the regulations that have been in place for not quite as long as 50 years, um, but still decades, scholarships must be given to male and female athletes proportional to their participation, um, or the athletics department must be working to expand the underrepresented sex and treat all genders equally. So that's where we are today. And that's kind of the brief overview of Title IX. And Maybe it's kind of funny. Lesson that we talk about this because we um we get tagged on twitter all the time in the most random stuff and for the longest time i was like this has nothing to do with us and then then it finally like dawned on you dawned on me that this is this that has nothing to do with like the sports part of title nine like it's all about like the educational part of title nine that we just get tagged in these the most random like long tweets and, yeah like, twitter threads and stuff super high level nerds on twitter fighting about title nine and education yeah. <laughs> tag us assuming that the title yeah. nine podcast has something to do with it which you know we've said on this podcast time time again that name was kind of tongue in cheek um, but no one, you know, the random people on Twitter yeah. don't know that. So, yeah, but it's funny. That's you're right. That's come full circle because and title I, nine, as it was written, had nothing to do about. Yeah. Sports. And sometimes I just want to be like, guys, we're just a couple of dumb jocks. Like, <laughs> <laughs> I dare you <laughs> take us off this thread. Like, but I mean, what's the one time in my life? I've just wanted to be seen know, as a dumb I jock. Know. But what they're talking about, like it, it's important but also it feels like maybe the forum with which they're just throwing things at a wall on yeah. twitter is not working clearly yeah, because, generally speaking yeah may we're, we're maybe not your audience to be tagging definitely not your audience <laughs> yeah yeah so it's just funny um because now when we talk about title nine i think everyone's knee-jerk reaction is sports yeah. Sports, sports, sports. But 50 yeah. years ago, when Bunny pushed her legislator to, you know, seek those hearings, it had nothing to do with that at all. Yeah. yeah. And I, I remember even in like high school thinking, well, Title IX means that there has to be the same amount of scholarships for men yeah. and for women. Yeah. Like that's what I thought that it was. Right. And that's what it's become. You know, that's, that's absolutely the face of it. But you mentioning the Twitter fights that are happening with these. Um, you know, high level scholars, clearly there are still discussions out there about title nine and education that have nothing to do with sports. It's right. just not in the forefront anymore. Right. Yeah. And it's, um, I, people are always like, well, women's sports are the reason why we can't have a baseball team. Well, football's the reason why we can't have a baseball team. Like all of the scholarships are taking up in football. Yeah. And I want to talk about that in a little bit about the ways those scholarships are counted now in light mm -hmm. of title nine. Um, but before we get to the really depressing stuff, <laughs> Alisa, 
I thought maybe you could talk a little bit about some ways in which Title IX has positively changed the landscape of of women's sports. Yeah, we were texting earlier and I was like, you're never going to believe this. I have an optimistic take. Elisa, our eternal optimist of the podcast. Right, right. Um, So I was kind of thinking about it and doing a little math in my head, you know, 1975, that was just 25 years ago. And then I was like, wait, this is not (laughs) the year 2000 with which I count everything from the 19s from. Um, and I was like, no, nope, a little bit longer than that. But so I was starting to think like, what age were the women who got to take advantage of this added guidance on gender equity in athletics that was added to title nine in 1975. And I was like, so they would be around probably like 65. And I was just thinking like, how old are some of the most incredible like coaches, female coaches in, in sports. And I was like, they, like, that's the age that they are. They're 65, like 70 starting to, um, retire and, you know, get out of the game. And it's like, what are their stories? Mm -hmm. Because they came into the sport before, before long before like women's basketball was a D one sport. Like they were, you know, playing basketball and playing sports and stuff like that. And so I kind of started to dig into it. Um, Pat summit was kind of the one that popped into my head first, because I was like, you know, she would have been 70, I think, um, around that now. And so I looked into her. And so when she was in high school, her family actually moved to another town when she was in high school. So she could play basketball because Mm. the school that she was at didn't have a girl's team. Yeah. Um, and then when she graduated from high school, she went to, um, the university of Tennessee Martin, and she was on their first women's basketball team there. There weren't any athletic scholarships. Both her brothers got scholarships, um, but her parents like basketball scholarships, but her parents paid for her to go to college, even though she was playing on the team. Um, she then played on the first Olympic women's basketball team um, tournament in the, in 1976 in the Olympics, they won silver. Um, and it just like, I was just thinking about what an incredible passion for the game she must've had to have to pay her way through school, you know, and, um, not get that athletic. And it, like, it probably didn't even cross her mind that in the very near future, in the super near future, that there would be athletic scholarships for women to play basketball. Um, I do think that it is kind of cool that her family moved just so she could play basketball. Yeah. Um, I think that that's definitely really cool. And I would probably guess that they probably had a little bit better men or boys team as well for her brothers, uh, probably a little bit bigger school. But I just thought that was a really interesting story. And then Nancy Lieberman, who is a former WNBA coach and player, now a broadcaster for the OKC Thunder. So she didn't play organized basketball until she was a sophomore in high school. Um, and her, her, her entire like life story is so, so interesting. I think it was her grandparents. She lost in the Holocaust. Oh, wow. Like crazy, crazy story. I just like get goosebumps thinking about her story. Um, but she, she played a lot of pickup basketball with the boys in town. I think she had at least one brother just played a lot of pickup, um, and then started to play when she was a sophomore when she was 17 so I mean you're a sophomore what are you the 15 you know Mm -hmm. what I mean like 15 and then two years later she was named to the USA basketball roster oh my gosh yeah and so she played at Old Dominion from 1976 to 1980 and that would have been their seventh year having a women's team um and and I mentioned this earlier but D1 women's D1 basketball dates back to just 1982 and the men's dates back to 1939 so like high level women's basketball was wasn't D1 and think of it this, this way um, six on six in Iowa was something that existed in our lifetimes. Right. My, my grandma played six on six. Yeah, I mean, I have friends, moms who played, I mean, it was, it was, it, it existed into our childhoods. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. So it's just funny to put that all in, 
context of how recent all of this actually is. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and then she was drafted to the WA WBL, which is the women's basketball league, a precursor to the WNBA. Um, she honestly like went on to be one of the greatest female basketball, basketball players of all time. She was the second ever female assistant coach in the NBA history. I mean, if you don't know her story, even just jump on like like Wikipedia or something mm-hmm. and, and read about it. Cause her story is just incredible. She's such a like pioneer for the women's basketball game for women in the industry. Um, just a really s- cool story. And then um, th- this last story is somebody who isn't necessarily famous, um, but I just stumbled upon her story and I thought that it was in- really interesting. Her name's Allison Davis and she graduated in 1975 um, from Boston University, but Title IX wasn't implemented at Boston University at that time. So she didn't get to take advantage of it. Um, when she was in high school, she played a lot of sports, kind of wanted to continue to play sports in college, but they didn't have teams, um, at the college that she wanted to go to. So all of the teams were kind of arranged by the players. They would just get a bunch of women together to play sports. And then they would reach out to other schools to ask if they had a collection of women who would like to play. And through that, they started many women's teams on other like universities around them just by calling and saying like, Hey, do you want to put together a bunch of women who want to come and play against us? And they would go find a bunch of women and that there, that's their first women's team. Um, and they, they didn't have any players, you know, they didn't have a, a women's athletic director. And so they didn't have um, coaches. They didn't have refs. They would ask a lot of like the men's male students who played for the school to come and be their coaches or to be the refs and stuff like that. Um, and their seasons were super short, but they just played like with a passion for the game. And I thought that that was really cool. Like that's how women's sports started at the university level, like super Mm -hmm. organically like that. And so she had a quote that I thought was really interesting, kind of in light of there, there's this conversation about like getting your student loans paid off that it's like, well, I didn't get my student Mm, loans paid off, you know, and that's kind of what this, this came to mind. This is a quote from her. She said, though, I was incredibly jealous that title nine came after my college career. I was delighted that others would, would have equal access to athletics and that we paved the way by showing our interest in sports at a collegiate level. The greatest legacy of Title IX is the emergence of the female scholar and athlete. I'm sure that many women would not have had a chance to attend college if it were not for Title IX. So I just thought that that was a really like fascinating, interesting story about how, and not even that long ago, um, how collegiate women's sports were started in that area and probably in many other areas. And now there, um, there was a, a study done I don't know, Ernst and Young or somebody did a story recently and it says among business women now in the C-suite, so like CEOs, C- CFOs, CLOs, right? Yeah. 94% of them played sports and 52% of them played college oh, sports. Wow. That's Isn't interesting. That insane? That's yeah. super interesting. Right. And so it's like, whoa, this stuff matters. Yeah. What kind of a world is women's athletics opening up past, you know, they say like 90% of our college, 99% of our college athletes aren't going to go on to play professional sports after this. No, they're going to go on to be like CEOs of companies and like run major corporations. What a statistic. I know. That's a good poll by you, Elisa. That's incredible. I know. Um, so I mentioned the Tracy Wolfson interview, and if you didn't get a chance to watch it, um, on Sunday, her show, we need to talk was about celebrating title nine, but I thought they also did a very good job of recognizing its shortcomings. And I think that's important because as 
Elisa just explained to you, there are a lot of incredible stories about the way that Title IX has changed lives. And obviously it's changed our lives too. I mean, we love sports. We had the opportunity to play sports and to us, um, you know, not playing sports would, would have not, I mean, you and I would have looked at each other and thought, what do you mean? I'm not going to get a play. That's not the norm anymore. The truth is there is still a lot of work to be done. And I'm thankful that so much attention is being paid to this anniversary because you've had a lot of heavy hitters doing some really deep investigation into what are the shortcomings of title nine and where do we need to improve upon? And one of those, um, investigative reports was done by the USA today. And our friend, Steve Kemp sent us a few articles. Um, so thanks Steve for pointing those out to us. And I did some reading on my own and there was one that was done by Nancy Armour where she investigated and her team investigated how schools are counting their athletic rosters, which Elisa, you talked about, you know, you have to have equal numbers of scholarships between men and women. And the question was, are schools manipulating rosters to appear more balanced than they are? And shocker, I know this is going to shock you, but turns out they are, um, this, Um, In 1994, as a complement to Title IX, the law was passed. It was called the Equity and Athletics Disclosure Act, where each school had to publish reported numbers of athletes and give the public a chance to search if men and women have equitable opportunities as required required by Title IX. Um, But schools have found ways to abuse the rules, and they've found ways as a workaround to comply with the letter of the law while violating its spirit, which we hear a lot in the NCAA's. Uh, particularly, but some of the examples they gave Florida state, more than half of the women, um, on the indoor track and field team never competed indoors, but they counted all of the outdoor athletes twice. Wisconsin claimed 156 women were on their rowing roster, but nearly one third of them never raced for the school. And in Michigan, 29 athletes on the 43 women, uh, person women's basketball roster were actually men on the practice squad. So the question is, how are they getting away with this? And the answer is controversial, but technically accepted methods. Um, And we talked about, you know, ways in which schools can comply with Title IX. And one of the three prongs, I would say, of, of legality is proportionality. You have to show that the gender breakdowns of your athletic programs reflect the numbers in your student bodies. So for example, if you know, you're know you 40% w- women in your student body and 60% men, then your proportion of athletic scholarships needs to match that. The other two prongs are showing a history and continuing practice of increasing the athletic opportunities for the underrepresented sex, which we talked about, or demonstrating that your, I'm sorry, that the athletic interests and abilities of the female students are being met. So proportionality is an objective standard that's the easiest to meet. You know, you don't have any um, discretionary yeses or nos on that. But what they're doing now is they're double and triple counting these athletes. Um, and technically, they can count athletes more than once if they compete on more, more than one team. So you're telling the quote unquote opportunities, which is why track and field, if they have an op- opportunity, again, in air quotes, um, to run in the in outdoor um, even if they're only running indoor, you can count it twice. So you're inflating the number of women's scholarships that you are rec- reporting, even though you're actually only giving a certain much lesser number. Um, so what they they did a big larger study, schools in the analysis created 2,200 women's roster spots by double and triple counting athletes. The double women, the double counted women um, happened more, 50% more than double counting men. And they also stuff rosters. Um, they're stuffing rowing rosters. Um, for example, some schools added dozens of novice rowers with no experience just to say they were on the roster. Oh, like Lori Laughlin's daughter. (laughs) Yes. That's exactly what came to mind. And like I mentioned at Michigan with the women's basketball team, they're counting men. So at least one of every four women's basketball players, the schools are reported in the study um, are actually men. So that's just one way that schools are getting around it, whether technically, technically complying, but violating the spirit of the law. But how do you get to count a man for a women's roster spot. Yeah. I think it's probably, I th- I'm guessing there's some regulation that says if they are improving the, Oh, you know what I'm saying? They're helping. Yeah. 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 
And then in a different article by the USA Today, Rachel Axon and Lindsay Schnell, uh, they found that 87% of colleges and universities are not offering athletic opportunities to women proportionate to their enrollment as required by Title IX. Um, it found 110 schools would need to add a total of 11,000 female roster spots to close the participation gap. That's 104 per school, which is the size of a football team, like you said, Elisa, and enough to add three or four women's teams each. Um, the biggest gaps included Memphis, the University of Louisiana at Monroe, and the University of South of Alabama. Um, and investigations, the, this is the frustrating part, is we're talking about all these numbers, but the investigations aren't proactive. They're reactive to someone complaining, and they're responsive to someone complaining. So that requires most likely a female athlete to file a federal complaint. And the issue is someone has to know something's wrong first. And how do you know that? Well, by the numbers, the schools are reporting, but if the numbers, the schools are reporting are flawed and misleading, then how do you know? So it's this giant yeah. circular issue that takes a lot of digging and, you know, something that you and I as just your normal standard fan or a student athlete probably don't have the time or resources to dig into. It's frankly, probably something that requires a national publication on the 50th anniversary of a law to dig into. <laughs> and that's kind of where the issue lies. And on, on Tracy's show on Sunday, they had one of the civil rights, um, she was the leader of the, the office that investigates this at one point. I don't think she is any longer, but she mentioned that there's 400 employees for 15,000 complaints a year. So on top of being reactive, <laughs> it's incredibly slow. Yeah. Yeah. But there's hope, like Elisa said. And I think it's important to keep in mind that despite the law's passage in 1970, um, uh, what's 50 years? Two? 72, right? Yeah. 1972. 70, the law was in 72 and then they added sports in 75. And, and the regulations weren't finalized until 1988. Right. So I think that's important to keep in mind too. We're not that far out from the law's passage. We're not that far out from their regulation. And since then, um, a study by the Women's Sports Foundation found that girls now have 3 million more sports opportunities than they did before Title IX. Um, and now college women athletes make up 44% of all NCAA athletes as compared to the 15% before title nine. So it has impacted female sports in significant ways that obviously would have taken hundreds of more years to get to, had we not have this legislation. So I think it's important to think about it that way while recognizing the issues and in a sports illustrated article by Maggie Mertens, I thought this line was so important. She said the pursuit pursuit of equality is more like an ultra marathon than a road race. And as you and I always talk about in comparison to men's sports, female sports are in their infancy and to keep that perspective in mind as we continue to march forward is huge. It's huge. Yep. I'm, I just think that's that's the only way to look at this and not want to pull your hair out. <laughs> yeah, for sure. No, I agree. Like, and that's why I wanted to look at like where we started versus where we are. But then you look at men's sports and it's like, well, get excited about where we could be. Yes. You know, yeah. because that's, that's where we want to be. So, and you know, we've talked about this a ton on the podcast, but I think it's very clear that women's teams and women's sports in general are significantly worth, worth significantly more than what we've been told or what we've been led to believe. And, you know, you look at the name image likeness as is a perfect example, women's college basketball ranking second, only behind college football. Mm -hmm. You have these crazy numbers of viewership and attendance when you put games in prime time. So I think, and it does feel like the tide is turning slightly, um, you know, to recognize these, the worth of, of women's sports. And, you know, I've mentioned, we went through this in depth, um, after the NCAA tournament, but the NCAA has really strangled the worth of the women's best college women's basketball game. And now they have an opportunity to renegotiate some of these deals, some of these sponsorships. And it's in their hands. So will they do the right thing? Probably not because it's the NCAA, but we know it's there. And if they don't, people like you and I will riot and will be mad and, and it will be known that they made a mistake. And I think that's different than even 10 years ago 
where we just didn't have the knowledge to be mad, to protest, to Mm -hmm. yell out loud. And whether that other, whether we're yelling into the void right now or not, we're yelling because we have the information finally. And I think, um, things like title nine or what has allowed us to do that. Yeah, definitely. I was, I was just thinking like a lot of what you're saying is almost this like direct quote, um, that I read from Billie Jean King, just talking about like women's sports is still in its infancy. Like she literally said that. And I'm just thinking about like Billie Jean King was one of very few in her time. And now I think like, let's take, for example, like Megan Rapinoe Mm -hmm. is one of very many now speaking out and it's only going to get bigger. It's like an MLM, to be honest. (laughs) It's like a freaking fantastic analogy. Women's sports are a pyramid scheme. (laughs) If you like women's sports, then you go and get we have a deal people. for you. <laughs> you get 12 other people to like women's sports, and then you get to be bumped up to oh, that's too executive funny. director of your region. So like that's it. how it that's works. It. That's how it works. That's yep. women's sports in a nutshell yep. for you. Women's sports, like, hey lady. Oh, <laughs> it is true though. Um, and you know, we talk about this a lot on the podcast as well. It seems like every day or every episode, I should say, we're talking about a new first. Mm-hmm. And it's unfortunate that we're talking about firsts in 2022 when it comes to, you know, a women of all female-led women's broadcasting team or a female official mm-hmm. or whatever the example is, but we're having firsts, you know. I think. Yeah as frustrating as it is, it's also something to celebrate. And like you said, and, um, like Tracy said on the show and in the interview that you guys will listen to, it's really exciting to see what is coming next. And hopefully in 50 more years, we won't be talking about this for sure. Yeah. We probably still will. We, you and I probably still will find remember the day. Remember (laughs) the episode. (laughs) We'll find something back in my day. (laughs) Um, do you have anything on Anything else on title nine before I mention one quick story and then we'll get to Tracy. No, give me your stories. Uh, Sue bird has announced that this is her last season in the WNBA. She's a four time WNBA champion, 12 time all-star and the oldest player in the league. She's spent her entire WNBA career with Seattle. Um, since she was the number one draft pick in 2002, we were babies back in 2002. Well, uh, this is, <laughs> I was not, I was not as much a baby. I was, we were close young, to being yeah, a full adult. <laughs> okay. Um, this is her 21st season and I mean, she's played 19, I guess I should say she had, she, she can officially two. drink. Yes. She can officially drink. Um, she added her fifth Olympic gold medal in Tokyo last year. So she's just, she's been such a staple of the league and it's one of those things where it's going to be weird not seeing her. It's like when someone passes away that you just, in your head, you're going to assume they live forever. That's how Sue Bird retiring is going to be. Where the hell Sue Bird? What do you mean she retired? She wasn't supposed to retire. Right. The the funniest thing was they put all these graphics up about her. um, And they had some from, like there was one I saw of her and her Yukon stuff, and then some in Olympic stuff, and then some in more recent Seattle stuff. She looks the same. Yeah. (laughs) The woman doesn't age. It's bull. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe she's part of an MLM skincare. Of course she is. Avon, probably. We all, we're all sleeping on Avon. (laughs) Anyway, I just thought that was worth mentioning because she is, um, I don't necessarily know if she's the goat, but she is, she's one of the goats for sure. Has she said what she's going to do after this? As far as I know, she hasn't. I would be shocked if she walks away completely. Yeah. I could see her doing. She's done a a lot of broadcasting stuff. She's done a lot of that type of stuff. Yeah. Um, and she'd be great at it. She would be great at it, but I wonder if she's interested in coaching. I wonder if she's interested in staying WNBA, if she wants to do collegiate, if she wants to do NBA. Yeah. I don't know. She'll be, I bet she's at the Olympics. I bet that she is broadcasting at the next Olympics. I would love that. And you know, I said, I'd be surprised if she walks away, but what the hell do I know? Maybe she's just had her fill. Maybe she's done. Yeah. I don't think she is. I hope not. I mean, the fact that she had to stay another year. (laughs) (laughs) That's true. That's a good point. Maybe she's going to Tom Brady it and come back. I hope not. I don't like it when athletes do that. I don't know. We'll see. Do you think that Sue Bird has a will? Because if she doesn't, she should go visit our friend Hope Wood. What do you think? Well, (laughs) will 
Well, well, oh, sorry, Hope. Another amazing transition for you. Um, visit hopewoodjd.com for Hope's Will in a Day program. It's very self-explanatory. You get a will done in a day. It's fast and easy, ridiculously easy, I would say. And if you haven't yet, use the code FANATIC for $50 off will, uh, the Will in a Day program by Hope Wood, our friend and an amazing lawyer. We, um, okay, let's go ahead. You're about to Well, say I was just going to say, if you want to write us into your will. Oh, yeah. If, if you, if, I mean, even just that $50 that you're saving, <laughs> if you're like, maybe I'll throw 50 bucks to Steph and Elisa or, to get a couple beers. Or... You could just buy us a couple beers now. Yeah. I'm just saying. Yeah. Send us our flowers. Send us our flowers while we're still here. Yes. If anyone wants to send us flowers, feel free. That's what we're saying. Beer or flowers. That's a tough one because I love flowers. I do too. I love fresh flowers. Me too. I like to buy myself a thing of fresh flowers every week. Yeah. Okay. I'm glad I'm not the only one. No. Yeah. When I, whenever I go to TJ's, I always get them. Or Costco has good ones too. Do they? Yeah. Yeah. Mm. But we're, they don't support us. So whatever. No, there's some local places in town. <laughs> I like true. wildflower too. Both. Yes. Oh, yeah. don't even Those get me started on that. Wildflower DSM. If you want to support the podcast, just give us a call. <laughs> call us up because we love you. <laughs> <laughs> Anyways, we also love beer. We do. Any of those things will be happily accepted by us. And if you want to write us into your will, that's fine too. Just make sure hope hope has all has my information. Alisa, you'll have to give it to her, but okay. Okay. All right. Anyway, we're going to take a quick break. And then when we come back, we are joined again by Tracy Wolfson. I hope you enjoy it. Um, but in the meantime, we are brought to you by authentic brand. Authentic brand is more than just your source for official cyclone gear with an amazing team of designers. Authentic brand can custom manufacture polo shirts, jackets, caps, bags, and beyond for your team or small business. Check them out online at authentic-brand.com. Look authentic, feel authentic, be authentic. All right. We are joined in this episode by a very, very special guest. She's a four-time Emmy-nominated sports broadcaster for CBS Sports, and she also happens to be the lead reporter for the NFL on CBS and the lead reporter for CBS's NCAA men's basketball coverage. And of specific interest to our audience, she's currently one of the hosts of the all-female sports uh, talk show called We Need to Talk on CBS. If you haven't figured it out already, we're talking about Tracy Wolfson. Tracy, thank you so much for joining me today. Steph, thanks for having me. I'm so excited. Well, it's an honor to have you. And uh, we're fast approaching the 50th anniversary of, of Title IX, as you know, and that's what we're devoting this episode to. But before we dig into that, it's the off season for the NFL and obviously college basketball. So tell us what you're up to. I know you're doing, we need to talk, but you have a family. Um, are you otherwise taking a breath or are you keeping busy? <laughs> you know, I feel like I'm more busy than ever. Usually I end the season and I'm like, I'm off. This is awesome. I'm going to be off for the summer. I'm going to be all relaxed. Doesn't work that way. I wind up volunteering for every committee possible. I run boards. I do some marketing stuff. I have to do some charity events. You name it. I'm doing it because I feel like I have time. And then I become more stressed than ever. My older son in the back of the car the other day was like, mom, why do you volunteer so much? But, you know, you feel like you miss so much when you're away that you're trying to make up for it when you're at home. So right now I just finished that. Oh my God, it's mommy (laughs) guilt. It is completely that. And uh, I just finished a montage for my son's fifth grade graduation. That is tomorrow. (laughs) So not sure why I was tasked with that. I uh, just had a weekend away uh, in Pennsylvania for all three of my boys playing lacrosse tournaments, which is my favorite thing to do. I joke, I like, I finish up the season, I go into a telephone booth, I like change my clothes into lax mom. <laughs> That's kind of what I become. Uh, so it, it's been great. It, it has been great. It's it's certainly hectic. My kids go away for the summer, so we do get a little downtime once they're off at camp, which is nice. Yeah, good for you. Well, take a breath while you can, because I know you'll get really busy really soon. Yes. Uh, as I mentioned, you're the co-host of We Need to Talk, or one of the many hosts, I should say, which is the all-female hosted sports show. And first of all, it's amazing. Uh, what's it like to get to work with so many female powerhouses in the industry? Yeah. I mean, once they came up with this idea and I was at the beginning stages of it, um, Leslie Visser and our director, Suzanne Smith, who both who are mentors of mine, um, brought this idea to CBS. And 
I was so excited about it because it just allowed us to have an opportunity and a space to talk just amongst women. And what I love about it is it's not just a female sports show. It's not about female sports. It's about sports in general with a female perspective. And not only do you get all women's perspective, you also get everyone from a different background, a different walk of life, different experiences. So whether it's Amy Trask, who was in the front office, or Summer Sanders and Dara Torres, who swam and Olympic medalist, and you have Cheryl Swoops was on the show last week for the first time. I mean, an icon, incredible, uh, Lisa Leslie and Swin Cash. And then you have other reporters and anchors, and, and we all have different backgrounds. And at first it's funny because I remember I was telling Cheryl this because she was like, I'm so happy to be on here. I've been wanting to be on this show for so long. And that makes me really proud to know that yes. other women want to join it and be part of it. And we are expanding the hosting role. As you see, there's more and more women that are involved in our show, which I think is fantastic because it does bring more and more perspectives. But in the beginning, you're like, oh, a bunch of women in a room by themselves. Like this can get a little hot. You know what it's like? <laughs> and um, it takes you a little while to learn each other and their yes. your personalities. And it's been better than I ever expected. And I, I love the topics that we attack, but I also love how we dissect sports when it comes to X's and O's as well with a female perspective. What's been your best experience on the show to date? Or maybe a couple if you can't pick one. Well, it's, it's not necessarily, um, you know, these certain episodes that we had. Mm-hmm. I mean, when we, we had to deal with Ray Rice very early on, yes. of course, Colin Kaepernick and Black Lives Matter. And, and this past week we did Title IX, the 50th anniversary. And I think that was one that stands out because it was all of us, you know, explaining what Title IX meant to us. And also not only looking back, but also looking forward. forward. Yes, exactly. And I thought that was great. One of the best experiences I, ha- I had was we did a master show. So to broadcast an all female show broadcasting from Butler Cabin. Now that's historic. Absolutely. And I've always wanted, I'm a huge golfer. I've always wanted to go to the masters, but there's really no platform for me, no opportunity. So to have that opportunity and that chance, I think was incredible. I, I hope we continue to do that. And I think we will. So those two stand out, but really it's just every week in and week out that we do a show. Like I talked about, it's getting to know the other hosts mm-hmm. and also diving into different topics and seeing their perspective, but also what they went through growing up and their lives and how it, it portrays what, what we're talking about you know, and how they bring those experiences into the conversation. I learn so much every time I'm on that show. Well, you mentioned this weekend show It aired on Sunday. It was a show devoted to celebrating title nine. And you have another episode coming up uh, regarding title nine on June 23rd, the actual anniversary. Um, but you know, the show on Sunday had guests like Chelsea Clinton, um, Olympic gold medalist, and also a lawyer, Nancy Hogshead maker. And, um, you mentioned Cheryl's who swoops was hosting and it was fun to watch her host because I almost felt like she was a little nervous. And it's funny to watch Cheryl swoops of all people in the world look nervous. It made me, maybe she is human after all. I mean, she was, she was like, I think she was so excited to be part of it Absolutely, just getting into the entertainment, the TV business, and she really wants to do more of it. And so I think at first she was, but what's so great about it is we really just make everyone feel comfortable. Like yes. just make it a conversation. And that's what it was. And it yes. was cool to watch you all come from very different perspectives. Like you mentioned, and title nine has touched each and every one of you. And it was fun to see, um, her specifically get emotional about it. Um, it's clearly impacted her in a very deep way. So th- first of all, thank you for that episode. I thought you guys did a great job of balancing what title nine has accomplished while also acknowledging its shortcomings. And like you said, um, looking back and looking forward. And so as I was watching, I was wondering as a woman in the industry, do you feel like you have almost a duty to tell these stories and to keep, to keep the title nine, um, conversation in, in mainstream media? I do. I think we have accomplished a lot and it's nice to celebrate 50 years of title nine, but you want to look forward of what the next 50 years are going to be and hope that one day we don't have to discuss this law and and why it came to be in the sense of how much more do we have to go. You want to just celebrate it 
to say, look what it's done and we're in a really good place. But I think we all know as women that there is still so much more to be done. And I think that's why it's really important to have these discussions. Um, as you mentioned, it's important to look back and say, you know, look at everyone's lives, how they've changed others' lives. And it's all about paying it forward. I truly believe that I was very fortunate to be in the position I was. And when Title IX came about, I wasn't even born yet. So right. for me, when I was a little tomboy playing sports, I didn't know anything differently. Yeah, yeah. I didn't know that I couldn't do anything or, or my predecessors couldn't participate or participate. They had to participate with the boys. I just went out and did my thing. I think it's important to remember what took place, but also to acknowledge what I went through, that it was, wasn't what they went through, but thank them for everything and the foundation they laid. Leslie Visser, as I mentioned, is one of my biggest mentors. Without her opening the door for me, right. I would not be where I am. And thus, I try and do the same thing going forward. I, I do a lot of stuff with the University of Michigan in terms of mentoring and opening doors and having conversations and, and, and helping others get onto this path. And I hope that they do the same. And I think with more working together, we will ultimately get to that goal 50 years from now where we don't have to say, what more can we do? And it's funny, you mentioned as a little kid, being a tomboy, playing sports, not, not realizing, um, what our predecessors did for us or couldn't do. And I have two daughters and the oldest one just turned seven this weekend. And she was watching the episode on Sunday that we need to talk episode with me. And I said, I get to interview Tracy. Mm -hmm. And she asked what about, I told her title nine. And she asked me what is title nine. And I just very, you know, high level said, well, it was a law that requires, um, that prohibits, I guess the inequitable treatment of men and women and education and then in turn sports. And she looked at me and said, why do we need a law for that? Right. And it was this moment where I was like, wow, you know, yeah. here we are, but at the same time, exactly what you said, it's important to educate. So we don't go backwards. And I know you have three boys and I guess, what do you do? How do you teach your boys, um, you know, about the, the history of it to ensure that because they're boys, you know, they, they, they are affected by title nine, but it's obviously way more impactful to women. How do you teach them going forward, um, to support women, to support, um, title nine and just e equality in general. It's more by example than conversation. And I probably could do a better job at having a conversation about it. And actually, if we were home, we would probably watch the show, but we yeah. are away on lacrosse fields all weekend long. <laughs> um, but, you know, how dare, dare you, like, Tracy? <laughs> what? How, how dare, dare you? <laughs> yeah, I know. Um, but I do think it's more by example because yeah. it's really hard to talk to three boys about what that did without yes. showing them what right. it did, you know? And so I think first off, they see me, they see me every day going to work and having a job equitable to men and doing a job at the same level as another man does and how hard I work to get there. They know my story. They know my background. They know how, you know, long it took me to get on the air and how much I fought for it and how much I wanted it. And now they see me doing this, and, and having a career, but also being a mom at the same time, mm -hmm. both of those. So I think it's more by example, situations when we'll watch a, we're very into, as you know, lacrosse, we'll watch the women's college lacrosse game and have conversations about that. Uh, conversations about the women's basketball game. And I'll be like, it's such a pure sport. And they'll totally. argue with me and we'll go back and forth, back and forth. I'm on your so side on that one. that's what I think is really important. It's just, con yes, constantly um, showing them examples of it. And then hoping that that turns into a conversation. And obviously title nine didn't extend to professional media covering college sports, but it's changed the standard. Absolutely. And it's been a catalyst for change in every level of sports. And it seems to go in waves. Um, it's felt like we went through a wave in the 1990s with the Olympics and the women's basketball team, then the launch of the WNBA. And then with Sedona Prince's infamous TikTok video that seemed to launch another wave, you started your on-air career in the early 2000s. So what waves of change for women have you seen since that point? I think in terms of, of my business, um, you've just seen more. Mm -hmm. More women in front of the camera, more women pushing the envelope, more women trying new things, more women in the booth. That's, I think, the biggest step that we've seen. Um, and I absolutely love it. It's not something I get asked this all the time. Do you want to be in the booth? Would you like mm -hmm. to call a game? Not something I ever wanted to do, but to see other women do that is incredible that they are on that same standard and they're 
And you see someone from Beth Moens to Doris Burke to J Jamie Maggio. I mean, you just name these names and they are right up there and um, getting those opportunities. And I get to work alongside them, which is incredible when you have all female booths and all female teams. And we have the We Need to Talk show is an all female uh, control room. Right. I mean, so even those, those shows are also, for example, and podcasts, look at you, you know, and look at all these women who are hosting these podcasts across these stations. Um, I just think there's more opportunity. Um, I think there's definitely a little bit more of, you still have to continuously prove yourself. Yeah. I think there is still that you have to prove yourself because you will be questioned more than an, a man would in this business. Um, you have to know your stuff. You have to, um, you know, hold yourself accountable. There's so many different things that I think women have to do, um, to compete on that level, but we're there, we're getting there. Um, I would like to not feel like I'm a woman in this business, like yeah. worried about age as you get older, will you be, you know, and younger women are taking over your jobs and, and the hiring process for that. I'd like that to just be an equal playing field. Um, but I don't know if that's realistic either. We're talking about, you know, entertainment television, <laughs> also um, fair, right. You know, no, it, it, it's true. And so, um, I think there's a lot of that, but I think you're seeing more and more since, of course I got in the air. I had, and, and mentors, we talk about mentors. I had no one when I wanted to do this. I didn't know who to ask. I didn't know how to say, how do I get into this business? Can you show me the way? What do I do? It took me four years to make a tape. Cause I didn't even know that that was what I was supposed to do or how I get in front of the camera and I couldn't take classes and even classes, even opportunities like that, shadow ships, internships, more and more are, are available. Um, and so I had no mentors to guide me and show me that way. And I think we have more of that certainly, uh, since I got into this business. So how did you do it, um, without the mentors and without the guidance? Yeah, it was, it was a long road. And when I tell my story, I tell everyone, this is my path. Mm -hmm. This it, it shows that everyone has a different path, but you can still get to your goal. You can still live out your dream. And I graduated high school knowing since I was seven years old that I wanted to do this job. And I went to Michigan wanting to be in front of sports, but with big time academics at the same time, figured if I talked about sports, was around sports, it would help me get into it. There was no journalism department. It closed down my sophomore year. So oh. I took no classes that actually helped me get in front of the camera. But I did get an internship through the communications department at HBO Sports. And that slowly opened the door. I did a lot of production for HBO that summer. I made a lot of connections, as you know, in this business is huge. And I got a job being a runner when I went back to the University of Michigan for ABC and CBS, whenever they did games, basketball and football games, made more connections. And when I was ready to graduate, I graduated semester early so that I could work for CBS on the side. I still stayed at Michigan to have some fun, hang out with my girls. And I, um, I, I sent my resume everywhere and I got a job at CBS as a researcher. Was it in front of the camera? No, but I didn't, I didn't know what to do. How do right. I get it in front of the camera job without ever being in front of the camera? And so I was there for a year. And then it's funny, you talk about women in this business. And I tried to, um, I guess, get a promotion, right? Everyone was interviewing for the next job. And even though I want to be in front of the camera, I was like, oh, I'll interview too. And my boss at the time said to me, I know you know sports and I know you love sports, but not like the guys do. And I was oh, like, "Wow!" did he just say that? Like, did that actually come out of his mouth? By the way, he no longer works for us. Um, <laughs> it didn't last very long. Um, but it was- Wonder why. Yeah, I wonder why. It was the best thing that happened to me, though. I will tell you, um, it forced me to leave. I was like, okay, well, I'm out of here then, you know? And I wound up being an agent for a year. I was hired by an agency right away. They had an opening. It was a nine to five job in New York. I was like, sure. I saw a different side of the business. I saw tapes. I saw how you should dress, how you should sound, how to put your tape together, who to send it to. Did that for a year. Got someone else a job who was my age going to Philadelphia already. And I'm like, what am I doing? I'm right. not even on the air yet. Sent a tape, uh, not a tape, a letter to a local TV station. I got a job as a sports producer there. And while I was there, I made a fake tape. I went out every day with the reporter and he took me under his wing. And he's like, you do the same stories I do. It just won't air. I made a tape. 
I sent it all across the country. And basically three, four years out of school, I finally got my first on-air job down in Trenton, New Jersey. And um, that's that was my break. Nowadays, I tell everyone, go get your tape, get your experience in college, yeah. do what you can, um, whatever it may be, working for the athletic department, working at your local TV station, working on your college campus station, get as much experience before you graduate. Because first of all, it's a much more competitive business. Speaking of when women, you said the 2000s, I was one of the few women still kind of pushing, you know, for those roles. And it was right at the time I was at Trent, in Trenton for a year. And right at the time, it was about 2000 to 2001 when everyone want, not everyone, but all the stations really wanted a female alongside their male counterpart. And so that opportunity was there for me. And luck plays a role. I was in the right place right. at the right time. And I got a job at MSG Network in New York and then ESPN. I had never been live before. And I got a job at ESPN because they wanted more women on the sidelines. So luck fully played a part. And now also, I think one of the other changes as we talk about what I've seen, besides the acceptance, I've seen the companies and you know our bosses, not more acceptable, accepted, but just um, they just work to help alongside. They, right. they do what they need. They understand having a balance of, of, of home life and your work life. They understand if I have to take the day off. They understand if I can't be somewhere because I'm worried about COVID because my son's getting bar mitzvah next weekend. They get it. They understand. And I think that's a huge step. Um, Steph, I was giving birth to my first, I gave birth to my first son two years, a year in two years into my you know career at CBS. I was very worried, very worried about, oh my God, if I get pregnant, they're going to pull me off the air and they're going to get someone else to fill in and I'm going to be out of a job. We're not worried about that anymore. Yeah. You know, you're seeing it more and more. And I always did these little, I did these blogs called sideline mom. And I would always hashtag sideline mom. because I wanted people to understand you can have it all. You can do both. And you're seeing more and more of sideline moms out there. And we're seeing, on the airport. What? And, and mom's coaching, you know, bringing their children. Um, Alongside. Yes, right. And because that's just how it has to be. Re- exactly, exactly. And and I think it's just more acceptable. And I had to I had to bring my pump and my yes. breast milk like through the airport. And this was at the time when it just was coming out. You couldn't bring, you know, liquids through. They would, it was it was tough. I'm not, mm-hmm. it was a really difficult situation, but now it's easier. Yeah. It's and just it's, easier. it's getting easier by the day. And I'm yes. very thankful for that. It's not perfect, just like title nine, but it is getting easier by the day. No doubt. Have there been moments in your career, whether you've been covering something or, you know, watching just for, for pure sport when you thought, oh, wow, this is a watershed moment in terms of, you know, women's athletics and the pursuit for equality or just giant advances. I think there's moments where I have said that to myself, where I'm standing on the sideline in a Super Bowl when I was a little kid, never expecting that to ever happen. Yeah. And I'm looking around and alongside me is my sideline producer, also a woman. And in the booth is or this past um, playoff game who had to sub in. But my mentor and the director, Suzanne Smith, in an AFC playoff game, a championship. I mean, she, she had that historic moment. It's those moments where I'm like, here we are, Mm -hmm. but I don't want it to be a first, you know, this is a first, that was a first for CBS, but it can't be a last either. Right. And so those are those moments when I look around and I'm like, look where we are right now, or we're on, we need to talk. And we're talking about these moments or we're in Butler cabin. And I'm saying, wow, look around where we are. It's those moments I experience that I say to myself, it, it, this is a watershed moment. This is this, we are, we are getting there. We are making strides and, and you have two girls, mm-hmm. you know, and you're passing this on to your children. I'm passing it on to my boys who I hope pass it on to their children eventually. And I do, I think it's, there are moments like that all the time uh, that we say to my, ourselves, wow, you know, we've made such advances. And we're still, sports is still a majority male industry, um, specifically with sports entertainment or reporting and media. So what's your advice to someone who is either 
thinking of going into sports media or simply just a female sports fan who, you know, is at a bar with a bunch of guys, like how do you, what's your advice to people or to women specifically for how to navigate a world that despite all of title IX successes is still majority uh, male dominated. Well, I always say one of the biggest things is you have to know your stuff. You really do because for better credibility, what'd you say for better or for worse. That's true. Exactly. The credibility needs to be there. Right. And I said that early on and people ask me all the time, what are some advice pieces of advice? I say, that's the number one thing, you know, don't go ever go out there unprepared. I did rodeo. I did auto racing. I did, you know, skiing and snowboarding, uh, track and field things that I never covered in my life. But if I didn't go out there and, and prove that I knew what I was talking about, I'd be laughed off the screen. I wouldn't have that those opportunities. I went out there and I remember the rodeo at the rodeo. They were like, how long have you been doing this? I had the lingo down pat. You know, I had the look down pat. Like I was one with the Cowboys. Like it was, I was going to make sure of that. And I did that with everything. It doesn't matter whether it's football or basketball. I did synchronized swimming. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) So it doesn't, it didn't matter. It's just know your stuff. I think that's really um, obvious and important. I think number two is versatility. Be willing to do anything that you can do. It's not go into it and say, I just want to work on the football side or the basketball side. Like I said, do everything. You're more valuable that way. And you will have longevity in this business. No doubt. If you can do everything. I think number three, and it's a very obvious one, but just be a good teammate, Mm. be a good person. I always joke, don't be a diva, like just be great to work with. We see it in sports all the time. The most successful teams are teams that get along and work together. And there's not just one alpha or one star. And I see it on the sidelines. It's very obvious to me when a team is in unison, it's very obvious to me when they're fragmented. Yeah. And I've seen women in this business who were about themselves, who have been pushed out and never gotten back in because no one wants to work with them. And I'm sure that's the same case with, you know, male reporters and anchors and, but I'm talking about women even more. So you need to be good to work with. You need to be a good teammate. And I think that's one of the most important things I tell young reporters when they ask me for advice. I can see some Michigan stuff behind you. <laughs> what, what is your favorite part of being a fan? Not, not a, you know, not a reporter or sideline reporter, just being a fan. Is it Michigan? Is it the NFL? Is it the NBA? What is it? So I get asked a lot, what do I like to cover the most? And I always say, I love regular season and I love the NFL week in and week out. I love how it changes. I love how the teams do change, you know, with each year. I love how I'm doing a different game, even if sometimes I'm doing so many chiefs games, but you're following them. You know, you don't know what to expect every week in and week out. And it's a whole long season. So I, I love for some reason, I think because we didn't, play football, it it intrigues me. I learn every day something new about the game. So I love that. March Madness though, and the final four, it's the best. It's the best. It's the stories. It's the passion. It's the one and done. It's the one shining moment at the end. I had my son alongside me at the final four this year. He was got the opportunity to be a ball boy, which was incredible. And to be honest, my older one was supposed to do it. And then COVID hit and they didn't oh, have the final four. Right. That year. So, and he couldn't go this year because he was playing lacrosse. So uh, my son stepped in and I stood with him with like all the confetti coming down at the end. And I said, just wait. And he goes, what are we waiting for? Let's go. Let's go. And I'm like, no, you have to watch one shining moment. And he didn't get it until it came on that big mm-hmm. screen. And he watched the teams and the players and everyone watching. And to me, like those moments or what stand out about the tournament and college sports in general. I loved my time in the SEC. It was incredible. The passion, the tradition, the rivalries. Uh, so that that's, you know, that will always stand out. I am a huge Michigan fan. Yeah. Um, my husband went to Michigan, so we are, and I'm very involved. I am actually hosting an event for them on Wednesday, just got off of Zoom with them there. I started something called Shadow Ship at Michigan. And what I do, I said, you know, I would love to offer an opportunity to young men and women 
who want to get into this business that don't have those opportunities at Michigan to take the classes and learn how to do it. Yeah. What can I do? I started, my husband and I were like brainstorming and he said, let's come up with a mini internship. We can't offer a summer internship. There's like 10 people that get that for CBS, right? So I can't be one to offer that, but why can't they come with me for a weekend and experience all I experience and every facet of the game and the production. And so we started this about, well, now with COVID. So it was four, it's been four years. We've done four different people. And the first girl was a rower from the University of Michigan, Caroline Hendershot. And she just reached out to me two months ago and said, guess what? I'm the new Jets reporter. Oh my God. And I'm like, I, I can't believe it. It has come to fruit. It is like, that's exactly why we started this. Not to necessarily get on the air because some don't want to. For sure. They want to be behind the scenes. They want to do marketing or PR, or maybe they think they do and then they come and they're like, <laughs> I don't want to do it. So, but she, I, I was so proud. I just did a podcast with her last week, but this is why we do it. And the shadow ship has now turned into other companies throughout you know, the country doing this through the University of Michigan as well, whether it's Sony or NBC or, you know, a PR firm um, offering these mini What a great idea. And how cool for you to see that come full circle. It's incredible. And they, you know what, CBS took the idea and they did that at the final four with a local college and had girls working with us to also see different sides of the business. And they want to continuously do this at every final four, take a local college and bring those opportunities to life as well. So it, it has been incredible. So Michigan has provided me with fandom, but also opportunities to pay it forward. Well, we're always cyclones here, but you can be an honorary cyclone with us. How about that? <laughs> That's good. I'm all in. Okay. And hopefully maybe we'll see you at a final four one of these days. I don't know. (laughs) That would be nice. Well, Tracy, thank you so much for your time. I can't tell you how much we appreciate it. And we appreciate you continuing to be a voice of progress and a face of progress. And we're excited to continue to watch where your career takes you. Thank you, Steph. You're incredible. Keep doing what you do as well. Thank you. Thank you very much. Thank you.